All right, everybody. I hope you are having a wonderful morning, noon, or night, wherever you guys are in the world. Uh, You're certainly in the right place because today uh, we are joined by an expert here in the crypto space. We're also joined, as always, by my notorious compadre, Mr. Aaron Pizza Mind Malone. Aaron, how are we doing? I, I, I know you said... You got a terrible night's sleep for a, a, a kind of reason that caught me by surprise. Uh, and me too. I was kept awake by the loudest bullfrog I've ever imagined. <laughs> That's what you get uh, from moving that was a th- to Texas. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing, uh, but apparently it is. But after this thing kept me up for hours and hours, listening to it croak outside, I finally was able to change my perspective and this thing actually was able to lull me to sleep finally. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, how we're looking at this bear market and these falling prices, you know? Mm. At first, kind of just it's get keeping used to you up. While. Yeah, well, no, not just that, but you know, right now, at first, it's keeping you up at night. You're worried out of your mind, but eventually, if you look at it through the right lens, mm. this is a great opportunity. A life-changing opportunity, in fact, for many, many people who are just getting into the crypto space. Because we're still at only maybe two, maybe 3% worldwide adoption. There's a lot more people out there. And maybe this is their first podcast they're ever listening to that need that life-changing opportunity, that need a way out. You know, we've been through a couple bear markets at this point, uh, one of them together, one of them separate. Um, And, you know, what we're so excited about is just this concept of building, right? I mean, during the the bull markets, people are just trading, flipping coins, going berserk. Everybody can't put their phone away. And kind of during these times where there's a washout, there's a lull in the market, a really interesting thing happens. And it's the new technology platforms get formed, right? They get a strong foundation. And one of the newest sort of, you know, call it technological underpinnings of the crypto market right now um, that's really being born in the bear market is called zero knowledge proofs and, and ZK snarks. And we're going to dive into basically how this technology is, uh, you know, creating privacy in applications and privacy in transactions. So we're going to bring on an expert today to join us. We've got Alex Pruden, who is the COO of Alio. So Alex, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and thank you for coming uh, with the energy, with a good microphone. You'd be surprised at some people they come <laughs> on and they just don't have a microphone. <laughs> hey, I'm ready for this. I, I prepared. Good, and, and you do these things often. So we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and dive straight into your background. Let's get acquainted here with the good citizens of Crypt Nation. They're at home. They're they're driving to work. Maybe they're uh, you know doing their thing. Alex, uh, how'd you get into the crypto space? Yeah, no, I'm really glad you asked. And I, I you know, I, I maybe we'll linger on this question a little bit longer, just because this is the Crypto 101 podcast, and I had no technical background at all before getting into the space, and and I was as far away from the this the crypto industry as well as tech. As you can imagine, so I started my career uh, as uh, in the U.S. Army. So I was an Army officer. I served for ten years. Uh, started in the infantry, and then I was working in special forces. And thank you for your service. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, but I uh, I discovered Bitcoin 
in uh, in the Middle East. So I was deployed to the Middle East at uh, one of my last deployments, um, and we were working in Turkey, and we were working with uh, the Syrian folks, many of whom had been refugees, and so we were kind of training them to fight ISIS at the time. And several of them had lost everything in the course of the civil war and when they had to become refugees. So people at the time, I was naive to how the global financial system works. You know, as an, as an American, it's easy to just get used to the fact that you can go to anywhere in the world and pull dollars out of an ATM. But, you know, if you're a Syrian refugee fleeing conflict and you end up in Turkey, you can't just pull your life savings out of a bank in Turkey. It's, you know, you have to go back and risk your money's no good here. Get, <laughs> your money's no good here. And you have to go back and risk your life to potentially get those assets. And, and, and that was in the context in which I discovered Bitcoin. And the idea for me that was really powerful was this notion of a, a bank account in your head. Um, so I, you know, I was, I just had my first kid, decided I didn't want to pursue the military anymore, but I, and I really wanted to, to, to investigate this idea. So I was like, okay, well, how do I, what do I do? I knew nothing. I, I couldn't code. I knew nothing about anything technical and was fortunate to get the chance to attend uh, Stanford University and get the, for my MBA. But I wasn't, I, you know, the MBA was interesting, but I was really interested in some of the technical aspects and getting smart technically on the space and, and learning more about crypto and blockchain specifically. And so I taught, I mean, long story short, I, I just took classes, did online workshops, listened to podcasts like this one for years and years and years. And, you know, it's funny, you you call me an expert, but I just wanted, I just want everybody to know who's listening to this podcast that at one point I was as amateur as you can possibly be. And you would be amazed the degree to which you can, the amount that you can learn bit by bit, day by day over time. And I completely echo what you said about the bear market. This is the best time to learn because the it's, it's much easier to cut through what a lot of times is just noise and really get the signal. So I guess finishing up my background quickly. Um, so I, you know, I did two years at Stanford university. I had the fortunate opportunity to study cryptography under a professor there, which is what really uh, kind of launched my career into the crypto industry. So the professor was a gentleman named Dan Bonet. He was an advisor to A16Z. Uh, and I had had a couple part-time jobs in crypto, but uh, Dan uh, introduced me to the folks at A16Z and ended up taking a role at A16Z Crypto. I was one of the first people to join A16Z Crypto in 2019. And uh, yeah, did that for two years as an investor. So I saw a lot of projects. It's actually amazing. I saw many of the projects that are now titans in the industry. I, I remember their first, you know, the, the initial pitches that I saw when they were just raising up their first round. Wow. Uh, but decided to, you know, I wanted, I really wanted to be an operator. I wanted to build uh, something myself. And I found a project called Alio, which is where I still currently am uh, the COO. And uh, it, was, it was being built by several folks who were very strong on the research side in this concept of zero knowledge proofs. And Alio is really taking zero knowledge proofs and turning it into, uh, or, or turning it into something that you can build applications on. So, uh, I'll stop there. But uh, anyway, it's a pleasure to be here. And, and like I say, this is this is a great chance, hopefully, for some of your guests to, uh, you know, learn a thing or two about anything. You know, like I said, crypto is one of the fun things about the crypto industry is that there's no experts because, you know, it's like it's so wide ranging, you know, from like the economics, the game theory, even politics when it comes to DAOs, cryptography, whatever. So um, anyway, uh, looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, that's an amazing origin story. And we love asking that question because everyone's is so different. Um, you know, you've been in this space and survived basically for three years or more, like you're a de facto expert for all the things that you've <laughs> learned. And the funny thing is, you know, in this space, we always ask each other, you know, what year did you get in as a way of kind of calculating all the different battle scars that you had to undergo and survive in order to still be here today. So that's, that's hilarious. What exactly does a COO do? 
What is your like daily responsibilities and tasks over there at Alio? I ask myself that question every day. Um, no, <laughs> kidding, kidding aside. Um, yeah. So my role is really to set conditions and enable the engineering team and the product team to focus on building the best product and the best quality engineering. I think that's really what, if you, if I had to boil it down, that's what it comes down to. So I do a little bit of everything, uh, as a result of that. It's also a fact of, you know, being a COO at a startup, I would say is much different than being a COO. I, I imagine of like Ford motor company where it's like roles are much more defined at a startup, you know, of, you know, I joined, I was the first non-founder to join Alio. I mean, there's just 10 times more work than there are people. So everybody does a little bit of everything. So I've done everything from product management. Uh, so I led like, you know, we we did a setup ceremony where we got a bunch of people to contribute to the crypto, to the cryptographic protocol. I, I led that effort. So I was kind of a product thing. I do operations. Obviously, I touch I do a lot of the finance stuff, especially the accounting and, and economic planning for, you know, what the network token will look like the distribution of that. Um, I manage a lot of the uh, HR functions and and kind of lead the team and, and helps with the culture. I mean, yeah, I touch a little bit of everything, but again, the, the key piece for me is enabling the engineers and, and the folks who really lead products to just be able to focus, get heads down and do the best work that they can. And I think I also read that recently uh, there was a fundraising round, uh, close $200 million, correct me if I'm wrong, Series B backed by guys like SoftBank Vision Fund, uh, Samsung Next, Tiger Global, Cora Management LP, and a $1.45 billion with a B valuation. Holy smokes. Did you did you have a hand in that? And what was it like uh, kind of closing that fundraising round? Yeah, so I guess I should say that I've done, uh, you know, especially because I came from an investment firm, you know, I do a lot of the investor relations and I help out on the fundraising side. It's very valuable um, by the way, if anyone who's is looking to get in to start a company, I will say if you ever get the opportunity to work at a VC, I mean, it's hard to come by, but if you get the opportunity, it's fantastic because you get to sit in the room where decisions to invest are made. And so it's very helpful when you're considering how to structure your own pitch. But yeah, no. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I was I was involved in that. And in general, I think the that that fundraise and, we, and we've raised like you so yeah, three rounds of funding total culminating with our Series B and that that fundraise was really I think a reflection of the excitement around the potential for zero knowledge cryptography, which is something we can get into more later on the show. Yeah, let's just kind of dive straight in. And this is going to be kind of a high level question, but how do you define privacy? Um, you know, Alio is a privacy centric uh, network, but, but how, you know, everybody kind of has a different definition. What's yours? I think for me, privacy is about, uh, I, I like to think of it in terms of what what do you have the ability like what is at your discretion to share versus what do you are you forced to share because to me like you know privacy it, privacy implies a choice right like i'm choosing mm -hmm. yeah. to reveal this thing to you or not i mean you I, if it, just by having the choice to not reveal it that's sort of that is kind of what people think of privacy as the hidden nature of it but i prefer to think of it as this this, this choice that you as a user have. And I think that's really the the key piece is, is I don't like to think of it. I mean, I obviously came to the space, as you can imagine, like working with the people that I did, like I'm very much a personal liberty guy. And that's very unimportant principle to me. But I think in terms of how I like to talk about it, especially to potential users or other people in the Web3 space, it's like privacy is a feature that gives you as a consumer 
uh, a greater range of options, right? Because you know, if you can construct applications or if you can construct a paradigm in which you as a consumer can choose what you want to share or not share, you know, that that enables a whole I think menu of better and and more uh yeah more interesting applications. And and by the way, this is an interesting point about crypto that's maybe worth ling- lingering on. I mean, the traditional financial system that we're all here to kind of replace is way more private than the crypto networks that are most widely adopted today. I'm sure you guys know and have been through this on your podcast, but you know, things like, I mean, if Bitcoin, but I mean, Ethereum, probably most especially, I mean, if I send you one USDC, not only do I see every NFT you've ever, you know, YOLO'd into, but I also see like every, every dollar or every asset you've ever sent anywhere. And then I can trace just the the tree of all those payments. I can just see all your friends, your entire network, all the pay, you know, who you've paid when. I mean, it's, if you think about like how banking systems work, even though there's a lot of downsides, I mean, one of the things that is not a feature is I can't see your bank account. I don't know what bank wires you sent, you know? So I think it's, it's Mm -hmm. something that is to me, as we build in web three, I think privacy is not only going to be a, a nice to have, it'll be a need to have, because I think for many real world economic applications, like you just don't want to reveal certain details. Now, maybe you do want to reveal them. Like there could be a case in which, you know, maybe a regulator asks you to reveal some stuff. And I think that's why it's important that privacy, you have the ability to share information if asked, if you want to, if you choose to. But I think the world of privacy by default is the right world for, you know, most applications that touch the real economy. Absolutely. And we're being sent a very conflicting signal right now by the U.S. government who just sanctioned Tornado Cash, which is basically the only way to send a private Ethereum transaction at the moment. Despite Tornado Cash actually complying with OFAC sanctions list, not only was their site taken down, but one of their core developers was even arrested in the Netherlands, not even in the U.S. So this is a really very confusing signal for you know, from, you know, really a, a body that should want privacy more than anything to protect itself against, you know, foreign invaders and uh, other interests that, you know, don't want to play by the rules. What are your thoughts on this? And what kind of message is really being sent here? I love it. It's 20 minutes in we're, and the hard balls are already coming. This is good. No, this, this is, is how this we is play. A, this is my, this is my kind of podcast. All right. Um, so first of all, my, uh, I think the first thing to note is just the U.S. government is. I think oftentimes we can we think of it as a monolithic entity, but having served in the U.S. government, I can tell you that's like vast differences between organizations, and in some ways, like each independent agency is kind of its own entity in a, in a because it's just a huge organization, and I think different agencies and different policymakers within the U.S. government have different opinions of crypto. I also so I think there it's not clear that the the US government is taking position one way or the other and then even within OFAC and and this the sanctions or this uh this ruling that you're talking about the facts of the case are not probably available to all of us so i think on paper i agree it it looks it's a bit of a disturbing development but i also think there's maybe other facts of the case that'll get litigated i'm sure this will be a case that's taken up in in a higher court at some point because of the precedent that it's breaking and really the precedent for people who aren't aren't aware of the jurisprudence around law and tech, there was this principle that was kind of enshrined in the 90s. It was this idea that uh, code is speech, right? And so this is this was actually, so in addition to arresting this developer, there's GitHub and some of these other you know infrastructure providers took down code that was relating to 
the work on tornado cash. And this is this is a violation of the First Amendment. And in that because of the jurisprudence code of speech, this could potentially be a violation of the First Amendment, which is why I think this is going to be decided in a higher court. And I think that's great. That's like, you know, this is one of the nice things. I mean, this is one reason I'm proud to be an American as opposed to living in an authoritarian country is because we have a we have a way to appeal this decision. We can discuss it and there's a system. And hopefully, you know, if everything works right, we'll get, you know, we'll have a transparent decision made about it. But look, I think. I think what you said is right. I think there's many, many reasons why the U.S. government does care about privacy, right? It's, it's the same reason. It's like the the example I love to use about even one government agency that kind of is, uh, you know, it's it's sort of schizophrenic is the NSA. It's the NSA, for those who don't know, is the National Security Agency. They're kind of like the super secret shadow hackers of the U.S. government. Their job is to break into everyone's networks but their job is also to defend our networks. And the funny thing about cryptography is it's very symmetric, right? Like you, if there's a vulnerability that you can exploit, it's guaranteed that that vulnerability exists for others to exploit, right? And so there's this weird dual mandate to do both. And I think in this case, with regards to privacy, look, there's obvious, like no one wants to fund, and least of all me, like, look, I spent 10 years fighting terrorism in the Middle East, right? No one wants to fund bad people. But at the same time, there's, of course, a million different ways that having a yeah, technology like like tornado cash or like a privacy preserving platform does provide utility to the real world financial system and i think the key thing that i i i hope that we as an industry can do is show not just regulators but just users people in general like the utility like how, like what are use cases for this tangibly today that we can interact with and like how how does this help regular people not north korea right i think that's something in my personal opinion that tornado cash got wrong is they kind of just said here's the thing it's out there use it for whatever you want and unfortunately because they didn't incur they didn't really develop use cases for it uh uh directly it ended up kind of by default becoming the vector by which allegedly north korean hackers used to launder money and and so you know my hope is that you know this you know a i hope it does go to these higher courts and it does get sussed out and again we don't know the whole thing, right? There, there's there's more than meets the eye. And you could just kind of look at something and say, oh my God, well, this is totally wrong. But you don't, like, nobody knows who this guy really was, if he was doing other things on the side, all that kind of stuff. So it's just, you know, we'll wait to see how the, the court proceedings go. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, uh, something like uh, Alio hopefully has, you know, a different future, obviously. Um, and, and I think one of the points that you mentioned was that, you know, there's, there's application specific design and not just like, okay, just open it up for anybody to use. But but tell us a little bit about how Alio is different from something like a tornado cache. Yeah. So Alio is a general platform for applications powered by zero knowledge. So what that means is you can define just arbitrary logic uh, and just and just like you can write any smart contract and deploy it to the Ethereum blockchain here, you can write any logic and deploy that to Alio. And so this is a platform now where developers can write applications and these applications are deployed in something on Alio called a program registry. That program registry is what users use and, and what we call provers use to synthesize transactions. So one thing to note, maybe on the technical side uh, of Alio is that we have this model that's slightly different than Ethereum. You have an on-chain, like programs and transactions are verified on-chain, but they're run off-chain. So it's a little bit more scalable because of that. But uh, what that means is you need the code, basically the smart contract available in this program registry for everybody to reference. And then they send transactions that reference a piece of code, the contents of which may 
may or may or may not be hidden. Again, with Alio, the principle that we aim to achieve is privacy by default, but users and developers both retain the ability to reveal selectively any information that they want to, which is a really important piece because I think that's what I believe enables people to comply with the law. Look, like I said, I've been in a lot of places where the rule of law wasn't strong or arbitrarily was, or, or maybe even stated strongly, more strongly was bad. But I think it's important I think we as as human, and maybe this is like a meta philosophical comment for a second, like we as humanity have gotten to the point where like we view having governments and societies and laws in general as a good thing, I think. And, and I think it's important that any system that we build and a financial system, especially has the ability to be compliant. Now, look, just like the internet, web three and blockchains are a tool that can be used for good or bad. I mean, all technology has this character, how it's used I think is different than the fundamental character of it. But I think the important thing is that with Alio, you can, it's possible to build all kinds of applications, but it's, it's, it's most especially possible to build applications that could be compliant with whatever regulatory regime you're operating under as a developer. Um, and I think, so that's really important. And I actually think that something like Alio is exactly what you would want for, for example, if the U S government wanted to issue a central bank digital currency, right? Cause again, like you don't, if you're trying to reinvent the banking system, you don't want everybody to see everyone else's transfers. So you want kind of privacy between everybody, but you want to make sure like, okay. People in government certainly yeah. don't want everybody knowing how they're moving their money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, money's think, moving into them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's like, I mean, there's reasons to have like a system like this. And so I, I'm very confident that, and this is why, by the way, like the Federal Reserve is researching zero knowledge proofs for this exact reason. So have you guys ever heard this? Look, you know, sell your crypto. How about get out, cut bait, and run? We're headed for a cliff. Have you guys heard this? I mean, I've heard all of it, but don't get mad at me because I'm not the guy going around saying this. That's actually what the chief strategist at JP Morgan. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. had been warning and they've been the most bullish bank on crypto. So it was kind of weird to see, but now obviously I'm not going to be the guy who's going to be shouting, you know, sell, sell, sell. Uh, But some economists are predicting a recession next year, according to CNN. So we can't just sit around and wait. I mean, we got to make a move. 
So you could do what the corporate insiders are doing, like the CEO of the biggest asset manager in the world, Larry Fink. Recently, he, he was talking about contemporary art, okay? And he called this the new gold. And the numbers are actually backing him up a little bit. And the last time inflation was this high, it was a long time ago, but contemporary art appreciated at an average of 33% annually back then. So that was beating real estate. That was beating the S&P, everything. And if there was some magical coin out there that went up 33% when inflation was kicking everybody's butts, I'd be all over it. Uh, and so that's why we're so bullish and so excited on this company called Masterworks that's sponsoring us. They, they've got a genius idea, okay? Because Masterworks buys paintings by legendary artists, guys like Picasso and you know Banksy, okay? And, and it enables you to invest in a portion of these iconic works for just a fraction of the full price. So they've already got over 500,000 members. Uh, and over half a billion dollars under management, believe it or not. And demand is surging, okay? So there's also a wait list in order to get in on the platform. But here's the super cool thing. My listeners on Crypto 101 Podcast can skip to the front of the line, the little lightning pass here, by going to masterworks.com slash crypto 101. Again, that's masterworks.com slash crypto 101. And it's also super important, guys. You got to see some Regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. And we're going to link to that disclosure in the show notes. So you guys are using zero-knowledge proofs, and that kind of seems to be the industry leader in optional privacy, um, as opposed to something like ring signatures, or other mechanisms of privacy that are just purely private. Why did you guys decide to take that approach? Put simply, it's just the flexibility. Like I said, I think privacy is a choice, right? So that like, I have some information that I wanna hide, but I also should retain the ability to reveal. And I think that zero knowledge, without getting in too far into the technical differences between ring signatures and zero knowledge cryptography, et cetera, I think zero knowledge cryptography enables the highest degree of flexibility for the user and for the developer. And therefore it's more powerful of a primitive. I love it. Now, can you kind of, you know, just so we could put some meat on the bones here in terms of visualizing some tangibility, what are some like end user uh, applications that are like being built on Alio right now where, you know, maybe somebody even at home could go, they could log in and they could start to utilize one of these applications or, or is it being, you know, is the whole platform still being built? So it's still being built. So we just launched our third and final test net. We're having mainnet launch coming up later this year, early next year. And so this is, you know, it's something that as is like the plane is being built as we're flying it, but we have already uh, seeded the ecosystem with some, some grants. And so some of the things that people have built that are, I would say like beta is, is, uh, that's putting it too too far. It's probably more like an alpha stage product. But some of the things that people are using this for that I think differentiate Alio from other smart contract platform like Ethereum is, for example, you can do a DAO where the voting in the DAO, you don't know how every individual voted, right? It's just like oh. when we vote when we vote in the US, like I don't know what you, who you voted for, right? So you can do, that's, that's really hard to do on Ethereum, arguably impossible to do on Ethereum, but it's it's actually very trivial to do in this case, right? And then of course you can reveal, if for whatever reason you want to reveal your vote later, you could, but that's up to you as the user. So that's one thing that people are working on. Um, another thing that folks are working on is infrastructure for digital identity, 
like um, the concept of self-sovereign identity. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with, but it's basically this concept of like, okay, take the all the identity infrastructure we have today with like driver's licenses, passports and everything and, and move that to the, not even web three world, just the digital world. But that really requires like, what you want ideally is a situation where you can reveal that, for example, you have a driver's license from Montana in my case, but you don't want to reveal everything else. Like the fact that I went or that I served in the military. So the, it's very hard to do that in the traditional web. It's very hard to do that in something like Ethereum, where again, your account just has everything in it. But with Alio, you can construct a system up for self-sovereign identity. So if you want to authenticate to prove that, you know, like the silly example I like to use, like you want to prove you're old enough to get into a festival where there's, you know, alcohol is being served. You can prove you're 21 without revealing anything else on your driver's license, without revealing any other identity characteristic that you have or any other, you know, um, credential that you have. So that's one, that's, those are two things. And then uh, finance, I think is relatively obvious. And there's some, there's like some different exchanges and different swap platforms that are being developed. Uh, so I won't linger on that too much because I think most people are familiar with a lot of those. And then the last one that's maybe a little bit more subtle that I'm really excited about is gaming. I think Web3 gaming is going to be, and I'm I'm a gamer as a hobby, you know, a hobby, uh, speaking as a hobby, but I think Web3 gaming is going to change the gaming industry because for the first time, you can have player-owned games. We focus a lot on player-owned assets, right? So NFTs, I think that's kind of been the last wave we saw a lot of this NFT ownership in games. But I think one of the cool things about crypto is if you marry a DAO to a game, you can imagine playing a game where, you know, it's like players can define the rules of the game by vote, by some voting mechanism, right? And so the game can evolve over time depending on the community of players that are playing it. And that's that's like really important because it's not that's that's not possible today. That's such a cool use of Web three and gaming a combination that I think people yeah I love the idea of being able to explore. hard fork a game away from that jerk player yeah. who keeps cheating all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and the thing that zero like you might be asking, okay, well, what the hell does zero knowledge have to do with that? Well, with Ethereum, like the type of game that you can play is like chess, right? Where it's like, I see your board or I see your pieces, you see my pieces, we move. And it's, it's an interesting game, but it's very hard to play a game like Battleship, right? Where it's like, again, based on the account model of all the smart contract blockchains that exist today, like it's no fun because I know where all your pieces are, right? It's transparent. So if I, I guess I could not cheat if I didn't want to, but like, you know, the, the nice thing about zero knowledge cryptography and having this privacy by default is like, we can create Battleship type games, or like a game where you know, like Magic the Gathering, where it's like, you don't know what cards I'm holding and I'll play them one at a time. And that's like those types of games is just, I think, lead to much richer interactions. And so that's why I'm really excited about zero knowledge cryptography and Alio being a platform for Web3 gaming in the future. Man, there's just so much there. Uh, you know, I've seen so many games already being built on platforms like Avalanche, even Ethereum. Um, I guess one of my questions is like, is Alio, um, an EVM compatible chain, you know, meaning can people just take their code from Ethereum and just say, okay, I'm going to now deploy it on Alio and it's going to run the same just as, you know, just with, you know, a couple different, you know, configuration changes, um, or is it completely, you know, ground up brand new stack, kind of like something like Solana where it's not EVM compatible. Yeah, the short answer is I say it's closer to something like Solana. So we built from the ground okay. up. We have our own layer one chain. We have our own smart, uh, like uh, kind of our equivalent of the EVM, which is called the AVM, which kind of manages the logic of contracts and transactions and transfers or interactions like between it. them. And then we have a, a language called Leo, 
that um, is basically how you as a developer write programs to deploy on the blockchain. And then we have kind of like the infrastructure on top, the explorers, the wallets that users mostly use to interact with that. So, so it's everything's from the ground up. We actually initially started the company looking at building as a layer two on Ethereum. And the short answer as to why not is that this, the way Ethereum was built at a low level was not, it, it wasn't built with this with zero knowledge cryptography in mind. So the third word in that phrase should imply that there's like some deep, there's like there's cryptographic stuff going on here that are it's different than the cryptography because of course ethereum uses cryptography but the type of cryptography that ethereum is really designed around is like signatures right so digital like signatures and this this concept of zero knowledge didn't really even exist when ethereum was uh, or wasn't practical when ethereum was being built so we we built everything from the ground up to enable that to be efficient because it's not that efficient on ethereum so if you look at there are some layer two rollups on it Ethereum that use zero knowledge cryptography, but it's, it's actually, I mean, we could have a whole podcast just about what ZK EVM means. Cause there's a very wide array of definitions, but I think the short answer is like the closer you get to replicating the EVM inside of a zero knowledge proof, the more it costs. And so you end up with this performance trade-off that's very hard to break, which is why we decided to just go all the way on the other side and say, let's build up our own platform. And just to be clear, my personal position is like, I consider myself a member of the ETH community. And the Bitcoin community and, and yeah, you and you and Pizza Mind are wearing the same t-shirts. Yeah, the, the I have an Denver shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's you know, like I and my belief is that you're gonna see a future uh, that's multi-chain world and you're gonna have different ecosystems that kind of serve different user communities and different use cases. And I, I think I consider Alio to be something that's different than Ethereum. You can do different stuff. Ethereum's great for certain things, in some ways, maybe better for certain things. But um, but I think I think it, there's gonna be this multi-chain world that I think will exist as opposed to a single one ruling them all. Yeah, definitely. I, at the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned working on the tokenomics for Alio. Uh, without giving away whatever you guys are doing over there, I just want to get your thoughts on tokenomics in general for Web3. What are some of the features that you think need to be included in these new projects going forward, either from the back of your mind, you know, in your VC days at A16Z, what you were looking for, or what do you think Web3 really enables in tokenomics going forward? I think it's a great question. And I, my personal wish is that there is more, there are more, that more mechanisms for long-term alignment get built. Like one of my favorite mechanisms um, in like kind of the tokenomics space is, you know, there's a project called Synthetics um, that, uh, you know, that, that's been around for a while now. And one thing that they had, they, they actually, they didn't pioneer, but they were one of the first teams to kind of have this concept of yield farming, right? Where it's like you deposited your tokens, you know, inside of their ecosystem, you would get paid out in a token to not, that was, you know, their native token basically. But unlike many of the other yield projects that came after them, they had this concept of a lockup. So you had to, you got these tokens that were minted for you, but you had to, you weren't allowed to withdraw them for a year. And I thought that was a really cool and powerful mechanism to keep people interested in the project over the long term. I think that's un unfortunately what a lot of DeFi projects ended up turning into was were were Ponzi nomics, right? Whereas the idea was just like, just get a lot of people and farm it as much as you can, and then really like it, it just the Ponzi pyramid collapsed on itself after a certain point. And unfortunately, a lot of cool ideas didn't go that far because they didn't have communities that were really long-term invested. And I think to me, the alignment, long-term alignment is, is really, really key when it comes to designing uh, an economic, uh, an economic system in web three. 
Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Uh, man, this has been awesome. Uh, Pete, do you have any kind of last questions before maybe I hop into some closing questions? Yeah, I guess, you know, do we have any idea of when Alio is going to launch their main net um, or what's on your roadmap for the rest of 2022? That's a great question. Yeah, so we're really excited. We just announced the launch of our testnet three, like I said, so uh, people can run nodes today. They can write programs, and that's uh, that that just launched. And we actually were in phases, kind of adding features to that. At, and at the conclusion of the that those kind of uh, these three phases, we'll have like the fully featured Alio network that will be a testnet, but that will go kind of flow right into mainnet. So the to get to the, the answer of your question right up front, the goal for mainnet is end of year, maybe early next year, that time frame. It's always tricky. And having worked in this space for a while, it's always tricky to like put dates on these things because you know it's these are that very complicated uh engineering endeavors that yeah, they've been saying that they're can, gonna do the Ethereum merge for like three years. It said, <laughs> yeah, even longer, I think. Uh, as long as I've been in this space, I feel like that's that's sort of been a thing. But like like the reality that the reason that's the case is because unlike traditional software. There's no do-overs. <laughs> As we've seen with a lot of smart contracts out there that have gotten hacked for a lot of money, it just goes to show that you really need to be sure. And so that's why we, you know, we've done, I think at this point, four or five audits. And I think we're going to schedule a couple more. I mean, because look, it's just especially with these cryptographic protocols and especially these newer technologies like zero knowledge cryptography, you just really, really got to make sure it's bulletproof up in advance. But anyway, the goal is the end of year or early next. And yeah, so right now the test, like I said, you can write programs, you can run nodes. In the next month or so, we're going to have provers which will be able to participate in the network. And the way to think of, so Alio is a proof of stake blockchain, but it has a small proof of work component where people can generate zero knowledge proofs basically for the protocol and get paid for doing that in the same way that, you know, Bitcoin miners get paid uh, for producing SHA-256 hashes. So that the reason we have that is to encourage the development of this technology from the hardware side. So provers will be able to basically generate proofs, earn Coinbase rewards for our network. And then the last step will be, we'll open it up. We'll let anyone be a validator and we'll have a fully decentralized network. And then again, that'll be the last step before mainnet. So of course, uh, yeah, I've got, I think me and the whole team have a busy <laughs> next few months. Like the closer you get That's to mainnet, the, the more you have to do, it just kind of goes up exponentially. But yeah, we're very excited because I think this is like, there's never, maybe just to my last point is there's never been yet a a system that relied on only cryptography, not any kind of hardware privacy, but only using only cryptography to enable privacy mm. that enabled you to do general programs, like anything you want. Like Zcash is like, you could actually think of Alio as like a follow-on to Zcash, where Zcash has one program it runs, right? The transfer program. In Alio, you can take that and do any program. And no one's ever done that before without the, the assistance of like specialized hardware. And so it's something that I'm really excited about, that the team's really excited about, that the team, and honestly, got to give credit to the guys who founded this company, Howard, Wu, Colin Chin, uh, Ray Chu, Mike Beller. You know, they they were working in research for years, even before they started this. And it's really a realization of, at this point, I mean, almost a decade of, uh, of intellectual effort. I love it. No, it's like, these are the guys that are like, uh, you know, studying crypto before crypto was a thing. You know, it's like when it meant just cryptography, not cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's amazing. So you mentioned you, know, you don't need any kind of specialized hardware. You can just run this on a, a good desktop computer or a gaming rig. That's right. That's amazing. So when Testnet 3 is deployed, um, we can just start getting involved and setting up nodes and right now? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, wow. as, as, as everybody probably, you know, as, as every project comes on your show probably says at this point, go to the discord. That's the place to learn everything. And so, yes, that I can, I can share some links to our, our homepage, our discord, our Twitter, and like all, all the community links. And that's, there's, it's pretty easy to onboard from there and learn how to run a node, learn how to write a program uh, and do different stuff. But yeah, that's, that's really the thing we want to encourage people to do is really the programs, write programs, interact with programs, play around with it, get a sense. Cause this is like a new model that it's never existed before. Just like people didn't really know what to do with Ethereum when it first came out. I still believe, I mean, I mentioned a bunch of use cases. There's probably a dozen more use cases that we haven't even dreamed of yet that I'm really excited to see what people do. Love it. Now, Alex, uh, we, we got some closing questions that we like to ask kind of everybody that comes on the show. Uh, some, some softballs just to close things out a little cool down stretch after a, uh, a high intensity uh, workout here, but, uh, no, yeah, this is man. a great conversation. Good. I'm glad you enjoy it. I'm yeah, glad you awesome. enjoy it. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about, you know, one character in the crypto space that you admire, maybe somebody that's challenged you intellectually or, or helped you become a better manager. Um, who, who's kind of one person you give a shout out to? Yeah, I I mean there's so many amazing people in the space as you as you pointed out. Yeah, the uh just the breadth of of folks that that enter in. So it's I have to really think about a single person, but I I think okay, so I, you know, I, at A16Z, I the head of the fund was a gentleman named Chris Dixon. Me and Chris were very different people. I mean, Chris has been like an intellectual for a long time and worked in tech and you know, and, and then he was a VC and he's kind of just that's been his life. And I, I of course came into A16Z. My last job had been basically as an army officer. And so we kind of were on different wavelengths, but I really learned the thing that I learned from him a lot is uh, to challenge assumptions, right? It's easy to go into conversations or, or pitches with these preconceived assumptions about what something should be. And, you know, he, he was always very careful to not hold those too tightly. Um, and then the other thing is, I guess maybe this is like a corollary to that is, is, um, you know, there's a concept in VC of like strong principles weekly held, right. Where it's like, once you see, once you get new information about how something might be different, like you're pretty, you don't hold on to things just because it was the way that you were used to, right. You switch, you're, you kind of are able to shift your view and be relatively nimble as an intellectual. And I think, you know, those are, that's something that I learned from Chris that, and I saw Chris kind of do day in by day in and day out. And so I, I think Chris is one of the foremost intellectuals in the space, certainly among like the VC community. Like he was the one who got into Bitcoin back when everyone else in Silicon Valley thought it was crazy. And so he obviously led the, led the way there, but yeah, he's someone who definitely influenced me and in, in who I am today. That's awesome. Um, A16Z is definitely the, the VC that we kind of look at when they invest in something, our heads kind of turn go, really, we need to pay attention. Yeah. So, and there, and I, you mentioned, we mentioned a bunch of investors, but they're also investors in Alio. I'm, I think they were, they led our series A actually. So it's important. I wanted to mention that. Amazing. Um, and for those listening to this podcast for the very first time, can you share some words of wisdom for someone just getting into the space today? Absolutely. And I said it at the very beginning, but I, I would say, don't be intimidated. Again, I'm a person, I didn't, I didn't even know how to code when I was taking, when I can't walked into the Stanford cryptography class that I told you about, and I didn't even know how to write a program. It was a master's level computer science class. And then of course, you know, you can imagine what that You're experience ballsy is like. <laughs> it, I, it's ballsy or stupid. One of the two, I don't know. I wouldn't do, I wouldn't recommend people to do that. But the point is I would say, don't, it's easy in the space to be intimidated because it feels like everyone is smarter than you. I mean, I still feel that way. But I think the the thing that I would encourage everyone to do is just 
roll up your sleeves every and try and take a little bite every day. Try and learn one new thing. Try and push yourself a little bit to like get some new knowledge and don't be content with someone just telling you, go and try and learn it yourself from first principles. And that can be whether it's like learning to write a smart contract, you know, uh, thinking about some of these token, token economic designs, getting smart on maybe some of the math or even just like any aspect of it you want. There's, there's no end to the rabbit hole, but I would really encourage you to try and go from first principles up and it's going to be slow at first, but if you start little by little, you'll be amazed at how much you can learn. It's truly amazed. I mean, again, after five years, I mean, five years is no time in the grand scheme of things, but that's how long really I've been digging deep into this space. And I feel like I look around, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. It's like kind of like if you climb a mountain, you're climbing, you're like, man, this sucks. I'm tired. I'm sweating. I'm out of breath. Yeah. And you you turn around and you're like, holy crap, I can see everything. You know, it's yeah, look that's, how far we've come. Look how far we've come. Exactly. So that's what I would tell anyone listening to this podcast who's who's maybe just first coming into the space. Man, I love it. Alex, I think that is just the perfect note to end this on. Uh, we've been going for 46 minutes, and I think that this was just an amazing, amazing podcast. I love your energy. Um, I hope that we could have you back again yeah. sometime soon. I mean, you know, we got plenty of, uh, you know, roadmap uh, milestones to check off and you'll come back and give us some updates. And uh, we, we look forward to seeing you again. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, hopefully it won't be it won't be like the Ethereum merge and three years later you have me on again. But uh, no, you got a gray a... beard by that time. And... <laughs> well, if it's three years from now, very likely. <laughs> anyway, no, thanks, guys. This is this is a ton of fun. I love the conversation. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, take care. And everybody who's at home listening, uh, stick around for later this week. We're going to have some more guests coming your way. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.